statement. Uh, and, you know, you've got to go back to the very beginning. Well, did, they, did they have that knowledge when they came out of the womb? Did they know that, whatever that revelation is? No, somewhere along the way they, they progressed into that knowledge. Uh, and so doesn't that then bode uh, the possibility that they would also gain more knowledge tomorrow? Uh, and it should. So, you know, we should always stay humble in those things and not get so, uh, you know, I'm the only one who's got it right and everybody else has got it wrong. And sometimes even churches get that mentality that our church is the only one that's right, which I know, of course, is true for our church. But, you know, other churches that say that are completely wrong. Um, and so. So just, you know, if we stay as humble servants, the Lord will it'll be all right. Amen. And so today is Chris's birthday. So happy birthday, Miss Chris. Uh, and then um, uh, this Sunday, uh, Miss Marilyn Neubauer will be with us. Uh, and um, uh, she'll do the morning service and the evening service uh, for healing school. So it'll be good to see Miss Marilyn and um, um, be interesting to catch up with her and see where she's been able to go and uh, what countries have allowed her to come in there, if she's even been able to get out of the country, you know. So, uh, so that'll be Sunday. And, of course, we'll have our church meal then as well. And um, uh, we'll, we'll get to fellowship with her uh, at the church meal. Amen. Uh, and so... Let's, uh, let's pray and thank the Lord for his word today. So, Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you, Father, that you reveal, that you instruct, that you teach, that you lead, and you guide. And so, Father, we depend upon your work as the revealer of your word, Father. We don't approach the word with our intellect and our minds and our intelligence. Father, we approach the word with humility and acknowledging the presence of the Spirit of God and the need for his revelation, Father. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. We give you the praise and the honor for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. So we had talked about, um, we're still talking about prayer, and, uh, and um, we're nearly finished with that discussion on prayer. And it all came back to, kind of all started back, um, and I'm just going to read the verse there in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. It says, praying always with all prayer or all manner of prayer, or all kinds of prayer. So that's what it says in uh, Ephesians 6.18. So that's why we kind of went on this rabbit path of, well, if it says all manner of prayer, then what kinds of prayers are mentioned in the Word of God? Uh, and so it's helpful to kind of get an overview of the types of prayers mentioned in the Word of God because how you use a prayer, and, and we, got, we got one more to go here after that, uh, you know, kind of the uh, we don't want to say rules, but I mean, that's, it's kind of guidelines about how to use these prayers so that you do them with, uh, uh, in the most effective way possible uh, so that you get the results that you desire, right? And so uh, we have been looking at um, uh, intercessory prayer. And remember, intercessory prayer is prayed uh, really uh, uh, on behalf of somebody else for one of two reasons, either one, they are incapable of praying. So uh, if somebody is, for example, in an accident and they're in a hospital and they can't, they can't pray for themselves, well, then, you know, you could intercede on their behalf. Uh, and the other uh, purpose of intercession, and it probably leans more in this direction uh, from the word of God and the weight that, uh, that the word of God gives to intercession is when the person that you're praying for doesn't want to pray for whatever reason, right? Maybe they're backslidden. Maybe they're not a Christian, don't want to pray. Uh, there may be other reasons for that. Uh, and so uh, in that case, then intercession is really used to uh, really obtain mercy. Generally speaking, it's, it's if you're praying for somebody else in intercession and they choose not to pray, they don't want to pray, 
then really you're praying on behalf of them out of an act of mercy because um, if they don't pray and typically it's because the people are backslidden or they're in sin um, and they don't want to pray but all sin requires judgment and left unchecked that sin would result in judgment of some kind either on this earth or in heaven if they make it to heaven uh, if they're not born again of course they won't go to heaven without um, a, cho- a, a change in their direction but uh, the purpose of intercession then is often used to avoid judgment and so we looked at several examples with abraham uh, praying for Sodom and Gomorrah and the goal was to uh, in that case was to uh, avoid the falling of judgment upon that city and Abraham was using the I mean his his uh, his case that he was making was well don't destroy that city because of so many righteous people and I think in that case it wasn't so much that he was trying to avoid the judgment to fall upon um, Sodom and Gomorrah, you never really see that he was trying to make a case of, well, you know, that they're not that bad of people, you know, that sort of thing. Um, it was more, he didn't want Lot to be harmed. Uh, and so, uh, so in that case, it wasn't so much interceding for Sodom and Gomorrah, he was interceding for Lot in that case. Uh, so at the end of it, Lot was rescued, Sodom and Gomorrah was not. And, um, uh, and so, of course, you know, the thing about it is, uh, even though uh, anytime you think about what's the worst possible place, it's always Sodom and Gomorrah, right? That's the worst, and it really is. I mean, if you look at the history of what they were doing, it was a whole list of sins, right? Uh, but, all, you know, and it wasn't just homosexuality. They also treated their children poorly and things like that. And so, um, and sometimes people make the case, well, you know, it wasn't even about homosexuality. It was about treating their children poorly, but the Bible never calls treating your kids bad as an abomination. It always calls homosexuality an abomination. So, you know, people pull out scriptures out of Ezekiel and say, well, he wasn't talking about that. He was talking about that. Uh, it, you know, people just, you know, they, they have an end game of trying to diminish the sin of homosexuality and say it's not really bad. It's not really that bad, you know. Well, I mean, all sin is bad, you know. And so, I mean, you know, if you're trying to make your sin smell good, you're never going to succeed, right? So, uh, just give it up, right? It, it, bad is bad, period. Amen. Uh, and so, uh, but, you know, certain sins in that, in that regards too, you know, there, there, are, there are enemies of mankind in the world, right? In the realm of the spirit and they're, they're demonic forces. Uh, and uh, what you'll find is, you know, a lot of sins are just done where we miss the mark because, well, we just feel like having a bad day, you know? And was it a demonic presence there? Maybe, maybe not. You know, it could be just us, you know, allowing our flesh to rule. But certain sins like homosexuality, oftentimes, not necessarily all the time, but oftentimes are, are significantly influenced by demonic presence uh, and demonic suggestions and demonic influences. Things like homosexuality are common in that area. Uh, transgenderism, I mean, uh, you know, is that a sin? Well, it's a sin in the sense that it goes against the law of God. Uh, but, you know, you've got to ask yourself, what sane person would wake up one day and decide they're the opposite sex from where they were yesterday? Yesterday they were fine. Today they're not. Well, how do they get there? And I know it's not immediate overnight. Well, you know, over a long period of time, they tend to listen to those thoughts, right? Well, you're really a boy when you're a girl or you're really a girl when you're a boy. Uh, and so... Uh, well, who's doing that? Well, that's generally an enemy of mankind doing that to influence you to go against the law of God and the plan of God for your life. 
Uh, and so, uh, you know, in that area, uh, they, uh, sometimes the world talks about uh, that it's um, uh, conversion therapy. It, it, they outlaw conversion therapy. And conversion therapy is a psychological effort to try to convince somebody mentally that they are what they were made when they were born. Uh, and so, you know, it's, and so it tries to correct the problem of homosexuality and tries to correct the problem of tra transgenderism by using church psychology. Uh, and the Bible has never called us to, to do, use church psychology to fix anything. Uh, and so uh, some cities and states outlaw that, find me, because it's not even a thing, it's not a biblical thing. What a person like that needs is deliverance, amen? They need uh, typically hands laid on them and they need to confess that they choose to, to not pursue that and then you can cast that devil out of their life um, and get them uh, delivered, right? So they need deliverance. They don't need conversion therapy, amen? We don't need to bring psychology into the church and try to fix things with psychology because uh, that's just going to end up being a big mess, right? Because if you're going to try to get somebody's mind fixed who's squirrely by, by using mental things, you're just going to make them even worse than they were before, right? Um, uh, and so, you know, and those people that are, that are suffering in those sins, now they'll all tell you, or some of them will tell you, I'm perfectly fine. They're not perfectly fine. They all have mental problems. Uh, and, and there's a very high percentage of them who, who will end up harming themselves physically because of the stress you know, more so even in the area of transgenderism because it's such a conflict, but also in the area of homosexual, homosexuality. Uh, there's so much conflict, and they'll say that it's because of the social constructs that the society has said that, you know, men should be with men and women should be women, so therefore we're under pressure. That's not why they're under pressure. They're under pressure because they're violating the law of God, uh, and they will point to everybody else as being their problem, right? And so, and we're not mad at anybody, uh, but these things are easy to understand from a biblical standpoint. And, and, and so, you know, you should have compassion for these folks because the pressure that they're under is a great amount of pressure. You know, it's huge amounts of pressure uh, that if you believe all of a sudden that you're a boy when you're a girl or a girl when you're a boy or that you like to be with boys. And, you know, someone said, you know, growing up, we had to just teach each other about or we had to be taught about the birds and the bees, but now we have to teach about the birds and the bees and the birds and the birds and the bees and the bees and the bees who, who think they're birds and the birds who think they're bees. And I mean, it's so complicated now, you know, you got to have a roadmap and, and, a, and a flow chart and, you know, it's, uh, it's impossible to teach all that stuff now. So, but there's just birds and bees. That's it, right? Nothing else. And so, uh, but see, uh, the Lord was willing to spare Sodom and Gomorrah. That's the thing we need to understand. He was willing to, as terrible as we always say, they, he was willing to do it. So for, for us, the question for us is, are we willing to spare a Sodom and Gomorrah? Because intercession's goal is to spare Sodom and Gomorrah. Amen. Now, it has to be done by the mercy of the Lord. It has to be done by the will of God. Uh, but are we willing to even make that prayer? Are we willing to, to go down that path? But a lot of Christians be like, burn them all, you know. I, you know, I told you that I was talking with some Christians one time, and they were, they were talking to me. And, and, of course, you know, you get around certain Christians, and they'll like, burn them all, right, and shoot the rest. And they were saying, you know, we were, we were at a restaurant one day. We saw this homosexual come in, homosexual couple come in, and, and it just, oh, it just it really bothered me. I'm thinking, you mean you didn't fall on your knees and burst into tears for their eternal destiny? You didn't fall on your face. Remember every time that Moses was attacked, what did he do? He 
fell on his face, right? Why? To cry out to the Lord for mercy, right? You mean you didn't cry out to the Lord for mercy for them, to help them, to assist them, and, the, and to get them out of that sin? Instead, you were, it was distasteful to you? I mean, who, you know, who are you that you would be distasteful that you would find somebody's sin, you know, that would bother you their sin and not that it would bother you that they're in sin, right? It wouldn't, you know, they weren't bothered that that person was harming themselves by committing this sin. It, it bothered them because they were more righteous than the sinner. Well, that's the publican and sinner parable from Luke chapter 18. Remember that story, right? Two of them went down to pray. And, and in fact, I love that parable because it keeps me in check. In fact, I think it'd be good just to read that parable. It's only a short parable, but Luke, uh, you know, Luke, Luke 18 here. Um, it says, and he spake in verse 9, he spake this parable in a certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. They said it made me sick to see that. That's what they said, to see somebody else's sin that they were righteous and despised others. Are we excusing anybody's sin? Are we approving of their sin? Are we saying it's not sin? We are not doing any of those things. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus for themselves, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are. I'm not like that homosexual couple. I'm way better than them. Uh, That uh, uh, I am not not an extortioner. I am not unjust. I am not an adulterer. That's a sexual sin, right? Uh, you could add, or even as this publican. So now he's pointing out this guy over here. Well, I'm way better than him. I'm not like him at all. And this is one of the hardest things, you know, to teach churches. I've had a lot of people over the years even separate themselves from me because I'm of the opinion if they're a sinner, they need the Lord. If they have a sinner, there's a chance for mercy. Yeah, and that's my opinion because if you look at the ministry of Jesus... Was he, ever, was he ever harsh towards one of these types of sinners? Publicans, you know, tax collectors, you know. Was he, would, what did he always show towards them? Always compassion. Now, I know Paul talks about a lot of those sins, but he's talking about it from a church's perspective, those who should know better. Uh, but this, the, the, these people didn't know if these were Christians or not. They just saw these sinners uh, in, in public, and it made me sick, you know. And I'm sure they were taken aback by my response of, of did you witness to them? You know, did, I mean, how are you better than them? Uh, and, and, and so how many people have said this? Lord, I thank you that I'm not like them. I would never do that. Uh, I fast twice the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not so much as lift up his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast saying, be God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, and the Lord, these, these are strong words from I tell you, this man, the, the publican, went down to his house justified rather than the other uh, Pharisee. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. So, uh, you know, for me personally, as a minister of the gospel, I, I, I struggle a lot in the church when people are so harsh against uh, people that are in sin. I mean, just, again, we don't excuse it. We don't say, well, they're tired. Well, they have needs. Or, you know, we, we, we don't ever say it's okay, right? Uh, and, uh, but we also look at it and go, left unchecked, that sin will result in judgment, right? I mean, it always does. On this earth or in heaven, one of the two, right? If they make it to heaven. Uh, and so 
We never excuse it. We never say it's okay. But we should never have an attitude of, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like them. Right? Uh, Abraham was, was, was requesting that Sodom and Gomorrah uh, avoid judgment. The Lord was willing. He said, right, if I find 50 righteous, I will not, uh, I will not destroy the city. Didn't it? You know what he said? 50, 40, 35, 30, right, all the way down to 5. Uh, and the Lord said, I won't do it. If, if I meet the, what you've asked for, uh, Abraham, it, since you asked, and because you asked, I will be glad to do what you asked. That's the, that's the role of the intercession. Because we asked, he's willing to, to do that. And so, so just be careful because, you know, an intercessor would never see a sinner and go, ew, Gary. I mean, you know, they, they, would, never, they would never do that. They'd be, their heart would break when they see them and go, Lord, if they don't change, this is not going to be good for them. The reason why uh, we have compassion towards sinners is because we know the end game of sin is always death, right? It could be physical death. It could be spiritual death. And so when we see people in sin, it should, uh, compassion should rise up. I mean, w- literally, what does John three sixteen say? For God so loved who? The world. What did he see when he saw the world? He saw sin. So God so loved the world that he did what? He, he gave his only begotten son, right? So when he saw the sin in the world, his first response was, I'm going to give him my own son. That was his first response when he saw the sin in the world. Now, if there was no sin in the world, he'd just give blessings, right? I mean, nothing to give except for blessings if people are in, are in the perfect will of God. So, so just be careful. I, I understand sometimes you've got to deal with sin. Sometimes, especially in the leadership, you've got to deal with people's sins, right? You've got to... Call them on the carpet sometimes. You've got to correct them, call them out, you know, especially, you know, like with Korah, with Moses. In leadership, there are, there are grave consequences if you're in leadership and you're committing sin and leading people astray. Korah was destroyed because as a leader, he was leading people astray, right? And then the 250 princes, they were destroyed because as leaders, they were leading people astray. Now, when, when that group died, right, when Korah died and then it was, it was the two priests along with him plus the 250 uh, princes, when they, when they died, nobody else died at that moment, right? Just those 253 people died. Of course, the very next day, then the people started whining and complaining to Moses, well, you killed them. Uh, weren't you here just yesterday? I mean, this was literally just yesterday, right? This happened. Uh, and so then because they got in that sin, now before that, they... They avoided the judgment, right? They avoided judgment because, you know, the Lord will have mercy upon people who are misled oftentimes by leadership. Now, it's a little different in the New Testament because if I mislead you, don't you have the Holy Ghost in you? You've got the Holy Ghost in you. So if I mislead you, it's not all on me. Now, it's, it's, it is on me, but it's not all on me because in the New Testament, you have the Holy Spirit. You should have listened to the Holy Spirit and avoid following crazy people right of course some people will think i'm crazy that what i'm talking about tonight but you know i've got the bible for it so i'm going to follow i'm going to follow the example of the lord jesus you know who never excused sin but always had compassion where he could amen uh and so so with uh, with abraham he he asked to avoid the the uh, destruction of sodom and Gomorrah, uh and uh with moses those in leadership uh were destroyed and he never Moses never interceded for them, but he did intercede for the people, right? 
Uh, and remember, he, he caused uh, Aaron to go and stop the plague, and he caused Miriam to re- be restored uh, to, to, uh, uh, back to her position that she was in the nation of Israel. So, so I just want you to just understand, if you're going to be a person of intercession, you will always be a person of mercy. And if you're going to be a person who is willing to intercede on behalf of somebody else, you've got to be able to see that they're guilty without uh, passing judgment of condemnation upon them. Because a lot of times we will see somebody who's guilty, just like that person saw, uh, those, those people saw those homosexuals come in. Well, you can see that and you can say, well, you know, they're homosexual. You're not judging them. They're, they're displaying the fact that they're that, right? You're not saying, well, they should die and go to hell. They should miss heaven. Although plenty of people from the pulpit would say, if you're committed to sin of hell, you're going to go to hell. There's no Bible for that, you know. Uh, is that any different than adulterers or anybody who, you know, I mean, uh, didn't Paul say, you know, don't lie, right? Well, isn't lying a, a sin? Well, why did he tell the church don't lie? Because people in the church are lying, right? Uh, and so... If people are lying, are they going to die and go to hell? I mean, I, I don't see that, you know, anywhere in, in the Lord. I mean, the only thing I see is if, if, you, uh, if you're a Christian and you're committing a sin, is if you commit the unpardonable sin, or really not the unpardonable sin, but commit the sin unto death. Uh, and even in that, you know, I mean, the man was caught in the very act of adultery in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and he made it, you know. In fact, Paul's desire was that he would make it to heaven. Uh, so he hadn't missed heaven yet. So, uh, and, and, you know, I'm, with all that's in me, I have no desire to be controversial. I have no desire to, I'm going to come up with this new controversial doctrine and really make a name for myself. Uh, there is no desire in my heart for any of that. I, I want to follow the example that Jesus gave to us and that Paul, uh, the instructions that Paul gave to us. And that's as far as I want to go. I don't want to go beyond that. And I don't want to just jump on a bandwagon. Well, everybody else is condemning certain sins. So, you know. Um, that's what I'm going to do. But uh, no, for those, that, that, those people that saw that sin, see, if they were real intercessors, they would see the sin and go, yep, that's sin. And they would acknowledge that left unchecked, that sin will result in judgment somewhere in their life, which will result in some type of death. That we don't know what type of death that is. It could be, there, you know, there's three, really three levels of death that the New Testament talks about. One is a life without power, right? So your life physically, your life spiritually, but you got no power operating in your life. You, uh, you know, would you go to heaven? Well, that's up to the Lord. But you know, I don't see why you wouldn't go to heaven if you're a Christian. Then you've got uh, physical death, and then you got spiritual death, which is the sin, un- which is the sin unto death. So there's three levels of death that the New Testament talks about. All sin will, will left unchecked, will result in one of those three types of death, right? Uh, and how far that progresses? is really up to the person if they choose to repent or up to other people if they choose to intercede on behalf of that person. Uh, and so uh, those people should have seen that sin, recognized that sin, and then had the spirit of, of uh, intercession rise up in the hearts. Lord, they need help. Uh, and Lord, if you want me to talk to them, I will. If you don't want me to talk to them, I'm asking you to reveal to them their sin. Let them see that what they're doing is sin. Let them see that the path that they're on will cause destruction in life in some way, left unchecked, right? That's the role of the intercessor. That's a, 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 great, a great lack in the church that we're not taking that role. Because remember, the Lord said in Ezekiel that he sought for a man. And how many did he find? None. So 
you know, uh, I mean, there's more people today than there was alive back then. But there were millions of people alive today. There are million people, millions of people alive. Uh, I mean, there were millions of people alive then. There's, there's millions of people alive today. You think the Lord is still struggling to find an, an intercessor? I'm sure he is. I'm sure he, uh, because when I listen to the church, oftentimes I hear such harsh judgment against people. Uh, and they immediately go to condemnation to people. And, and yet, uh, last time I checked, the Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you're born again Christian, why are you condemning your brother, right? Why are you, why are you uh, judging your brother? Uh, and and uh, uh, I remember one time, uh, well, uh, if you turn over to the book of Romans, chapter 14, uh, Brother Hagin tells a story of there was this fellow and I'll see if I can get the story right, but uh, there was a fellow, he was a fairly young minister, and his wife just up and left him, just, just you know, divorced him. Well, was that, was that that fellow's fault? Was it his fault that his wife left him? I mean, you know, all divorce uh, is a sin because it's outside the will of God, but it's not always a sin of both parties. If one party is just innocent and they're just minding their own business and trying to do the best they can, and the other party goes, you know, I just want to do something different. And that happens every day, right? Where, where one, one person wants to be married the rest of their life and the other person doesn't want to be married anymore. And they walk out the door and, and get a divorce, get a legal divorce. Uh, is that a sin of both parties? Well, it surely can't be a sin of both parties because the, one, the other one didn't break their vows. You know, the one of them did, but the other one didn't. Uh, and yet many people in the church, if you're divorced, it's it. And we'll still take your money, right? You give money, I'll take your money, but you can't do anything inside the church. Well, I thought... Uh, I mean, the Bible actually talks about giving as a ministry, right? Mm -hmm. So if I, can, if I won't let you do a ministry of greeting the door, why would I let you do a ministry of giving me your money? Seems like if you, if you can't let them work, you know, you can't let them give. I mean, I don't know. You may, maybe, maybe we should read the Bible more. I don't know. But, um, uh, and so this fellow, you know, was young, and, and um, um, they had a conference, you know, in their denomination, they had conferences. And so... Uh, the lead of the conference allowed this minister to get up and speak. And of course, you know, in that, in that denomination, it was just, you know, almost heresy to be divorced, you know. I mean, just, wow, shoot him and bury him in the backyard, right, if you're divorced. And so after he spoke, then some of the other ministers just kind of sitting around talking and, and uh, they're like, well, doesn't that guy know he's divorced, you know? Uh, uh, and no, they should know better. You know, they should know better than that. Don't, don't you agree, Brother Hagin? And Brother Hagin kind of said, yeah. Now, he didn't really come out real hard against them, but he said, yeah, I agree. They should know better. Well, that night, Brother Hagin's uh, in, uh, in his room. And he said the room lit up, daylight. It was dark five seconds before that. Lit up like daylight. And the Lord spoke to him and said, who art thou that judges another man's servant? Uh, and the Lord was quoting Romans chapter 14, verse 4. It says, who art thou that judges another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Uh, and so, whose servant are we? We are the servant of the Lord, right? So, uh, I'm not your servant. I know I do serve you, but I'm not your servant. I am the servant of the Lord. I may serve you because I'm a servant of the Lord, but I am a servant of the Lord. I am not your servant. Uh, and so, uh, the Lord just quoted his own word to Brother Hagin. Who art thou that judges another man's servant? And, of course, Brother Hagin's like, Lord, I didn't judge anybody. <laughs> you know... If the Lord accuses you of something, Lord, it wasn't me. <laughs> that is not the right answer, right? Uh, the right answer is, uh, Lord, could you give me some more information? You know, 
uh, explain, explain to me, you know, where I missed it somehow, right? Uh, and, and the Lord said, did you not say this? And Brother Higgins like, well, I mean, I just agreed. I didn't really start it, you know. I was just kind of in there, you know, and agree. And, and the Lord said, who art thou that judges another man's servant? And really harsh towards him. Uh, and, you know, and the Lord helped him to see that, number one, did he know all the circumstances? Did he know what was going on in their marriage? Did he know whether or not the wife left without the husband's approval? Did he know anything other than the fact that the, the known public fact that they were divorced? Did he know anything about anything? No. And so he judged this man as being wrong, not knowing the circumstances, right? Now, well, how many times have we done that? Well, you know, they're wrong. Well, how do you know they're wrong? Do you know all the circumstances? Do you know everything? I mean, just, you know, like I told you that someone said, well, I don't believe in conspiracy theories, but I know that Dick Cheney uh, was the one who orchestrated the 9-11 attacks. And how would you know this? I mean, do you, were you in his living room when he goes, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to blow up the towers. That's what I'm going to do. Were you there? No, but they've got evidence. Well, who's got evidence? Nobody's got evidence. Well, I, they, I know they've got evidence. I'm like, you're an intelligent human being, and you really believe that. I mean, even if it was true, it's not true, but even if it was absolutely true, does anybody know? Does anybody have any evidence? Is there, is there a videotape of, of Dick Cheney going, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get some more oil by blowing up the, the Twin Towers. I mean, it's just the most, of, and these are Christians, right? We're supposed to have greater insight into the world. We're supposed to have, be able to see things that the world is unable to see, and yet we can't see them because we're so clouded by things that we want to see, right, that aren't even there. And so who art thou that judgeth another man's servant? So, I mean, do you know, do you know everything about them? So the best thing to do is just, you know, uh, see, you can acknowledge things. You can say, well, wow, that man's divorced. I mean, it's not like it's, you're not judging him by saying that. He's, he's divorced, right? But the problem is when you cross the line. So therefore, he is unworthy to ever serve the Lord again. I thought he was a servant of the Lord. You know, the thing is, people all the time, you know, say, well, you know, women shouldn't be in ministry. You hear people say dumb things like that all the time. And I'm looking at it and think, well, but that woman over there, it's just like, you know, for example, Nancy Dufresne, right? She is a pastor now. She's really a traveling minister. But, you know, she, uh, I don't know if she still considers herself the pastor of the church. I think she's kind of handed it over to her kids, mostly to her daughter-in-law, right? Uh, but for a long time, she was the pastor of the church. Women shouldn't be in ministry. But she's one of the most anointed ministers you'll ever hear. I mean, as far as her teaching, where did she get that anointing? Who gave her the anointing? The Lord did. I mean, you don't, you, you don't get that by intelligence, right? I'm an intelligent person. But I, can, I mean, nearly every time I sit and listen to her, it's like, wow, I wonder where she got that from. I've never seen that before. That's really good. Uh, well, if the Lord chooses to anoint her, who am I to judge her and go, she shouldn't be doing that? Is the Lord going to go, you know, you're right. I'm sorry. I take all that back. Is he going to look at me? I mean, is there any way that the Lord would say, well, you're right. You know, I'm so, I didn't even mean to anoint her. Well, you know, I'm just a, my, my bad, right? Is the Lord going to do that? He's, no, if he anoints her, whose business is it of mine, right? Uh, to, to, uh, to judge anything there. Just, you know, uh, of course, there's nothing wrong with her being a, a minister anyway, obviously, from the word of God. But, uh, you know, just have some common sense. If the Lord chooses to anoint somebody, is he going to anoint a sinner to, to do something? He's not going to anoint those in, in sin. Uh, and so, anyway, it's, uh, uh, so, so intercession is a great tool that we need to exercise in the church. Amen? Uh, 
and if you want to be a, a, an intercessor, because an intercessor can change people's lives, change the course and direction of a person's life. But they can only do that if they're willing to be a person of mercy, be a person willing to look at that and see that sin. And when they see the sin, the first reaction is compassion and not judgment. I think that's pretty rare. My, my observation in the body of Christ is oftentimes when the church sees sin, they immediately drive to judgment uh, instead of driving towards mercy. And Because um, God's the only judge of the earth. I'm not the judge of the earth. Uh, because for one thing, when you look at a sin, say it's, you know, say it's adultery, right? That one's pretty easy. Um, uh, adultery. Well, you're not judging somebody to say, you know, that's adultery. The word judge that, right? The Bible has already judged that, that that's adultery, right? Where we, uh, and so Jesus said, judge, judge not that uh, lest thou be judged. But he wasn't talking about acknowledging that what the word of God says, because that's not judgment. God has made that judgment that, that adultery is wrong. We're not judging somebody, but where we get into tr- trouble is they're an adultery. Therefore, you should shoot them or break a kneecap. Now we've crossed the line into, into you know, not only passing, uh, the, you know, because if you know, like even in court cases, a lot of times they'll, they will go through a process of first judgment to, to decide whether or not somebody is guilty of something. And then they'll go into sentencing, right, which is the next phase of judgment, right? Well, okay, they're guilty of this sin, Therefore, they should spend the rest of their life in jail. You know, both, uh, both parts of that are judgment, but the first part is often already covered by the word of God. So I'm not judging somebody if I look at them and say, well, you're in sin because you're in adultery, right? Uh, you're in sin because you're cheating on your wife. You're in, adul- you're in adultery because you're in sin because you're cheating on your husband. I'm not judging anybody in that, but where I cross the line is, therefore, you know, you're going to die and go to hell. Therefore, you should be kicked out of the church. Therefore, you know, whatever the therefore is, there's no Bible for what the therefore is because didn't Jesus let the woman off with the, uh, in the very act of adultery in John chapter 8, right? Uh, I, therefore, I condemn you not. Now, he has the right to do it, you know, because he wrote the law, uh, but he chose not to, so he chose to have mercy on her. Paul passed judgment because he had the authority in the, in the Corinthian church. But after the man chose to repent, he withdrew that judgment uh, and said, you know, you're no longer going to die on this earth early because of this sin. So the judgment was passed, but then it was rescinded. Right. He got a pardon after the fact. Um, And so. Where we cross the line is uh, in areas where we don't have authority. Right. So uh, if you just know another Christian somewhere and they're in sin, you know, again, if it's an obvious sin, well, you're cheating on your taxes, right? Well, that's a sin. You're lying to the government, right? I mean, I had Christians, you know, it's just, just crazy to me, you know. I'm a great Christian, you know. I love the Lord, you know. I worship God, you know. Uh, hey, you, you can do some work for me? Sure. Uh, all right, can I get your information to, to let the IRS know that you did this work? Oh, don't tell the IRS that I did work for you. Cash under the table only, please. Well, aren't you supposed to pay taxes on your income, right? Isn't it an income? Yeah, but I don't want to, you know, I don't want to lose, you know, I don't want to pay those taxes. Well, why not, you know? And I know sometimes the government can overreach in those things, but, um, uh, but there's a lot of things like that. I mean, how many disabled people are out working every day? Uh, you know, uh, uh, I know one fella, uh, he, he's gone now, but he was on disability forever. 
And the way he would make extra cash money is he'd push mow yards. I mean, with a push mower, right? Now, you know, he didn't do it like in a scooter or, you know, from crutches or anything. He just pushed mow yards. So it's like, how many disabled people actually can push mow a yard, right? I mean, I don't know too many disabled. None of my bit. You do whatever you want to, right? I don't care, but it's just an observation. Like, well, I mean, maybe, I mean, maybe, you know, something up to that, you know, but how many Christians have done things like that? So where we get into trouble is after we acknowledge that it's sin. Now, what if it's not covered by the word of God? Then you just got to leave it alone because it's only up to the Lord to judge that, right? Uh, you know, um, be angry and sin not. So you can be angry, but you could be angry and sin. So where's the line? Well, I don't know. I mean, it, are, you, are you well able to judge that? I mean, maybe you are, but really your judgment should only should only extend to the authority you have in a situation. So if you're looking at your peer sitting next to you in a church or somewhere and they're doing something and you see that's wrong, okay, that's fine, right? You can either go tell them and you go talk to the pastor about it. You know, generally speaking, it'd be better to bring them with you. But, um, but then after that, is it your job to pass a judgment? Well, then you should, you know, break your kneecap or, you know, call them out in public. Well, that's where you get into trouble, right? Because do you have authority in a situation? You don't. You know, if I see somebody sinning in another church, do I have any authority over that person in that church? I don't. What if I see another pastor sinning? Should I go tell the elder board of that church that they're in sin? I mean, it, it's, it's out. I have no authority in a situation. So unless the Lord says something special, and maybe he could, I don't know. I would be really surprised if he told me to go do something about that. Now, he might go tell me to go talk to that person. You know, that would not be unreasonable. But for him to have me tell me to go and call him out publicly, I mean, uh, maybe. But I'd be really surprised that the Lord would do that because generally speaking, I don't have authority in that, uh, in that area. So, so just be careful, right, about those things. If you see the sin, your first response should, you know, I need to pray. I need to pray for this person, right? So, so there's just a lot of good things about, uh, about uh, intercession that I think is, is wonderful, right? Uh, and really, uh, you should strive to be an intercessor because it'll help your spiritual life anyway because you'll be a person who's not so quick to judge but a person who's quick to pray. Uh, uh, Charles Finney was one of the greatest evangelists of his time. Uh, he lived mostly in the 1800s. And he would go, uh, and, uh, and he had great success. I mean, he would have such success that he would walk into a city and the whole city would shut down. Not because they respected him, but because nobody was coming to the businesses, right? All the bars would close, all the theaters would close. It wasn't because they were trying to honor him. It's like, look, nobody's here, let's go home. I mean, everybody was at his services, right? So the businesses only closed because... Uh, they had no customers. Uh, but the, really, the, the, success, the secret to his success was his prayer life. Uh, and he, would have, he traveled with a fellow by the name of Daniel Nash. They called him Father Nash. He wasn't a Catholic. I don't really know why. They never have understood why they called him Father Nash, but they, that's what they called him. But they would t- they would, he would typically send uh, Father Nash, and there would be other people along with him too. They would go into a city like a week before the meetings, and they would just intercede for the city. Lord, this city needs you. This city needs to come to you. This city will hear the word of God preached. Uh, and, and they got a lot of that from Charles Finney. And, and um, I've got this quote written down in my Bible uh, because it, it just uh, it shows the, a lot of times the attitude that you will have as an intercessor. And, and this is what he said. He said, I, I found myself so much exercised and so borne down with the weight of immortal souls 
See, a lot of times an intercessor will, will feel the weight of the sin that they're praying about. They'll feel the, the, because the person under sin, they're under that weight because the Bible calls weights and sins, right? There's weight to sin. There's spiritual weight to sin. And as an intercessor, oftentimes you'll feel that same weight and, and you can feel the oppression of that sin uh, as an intercessor. And he said, I was so borne down with the weight of immortal souls that I was constrained to pray without ceasing. Some of my experiences indeed alarmed me. A spirit of importunity or persistence, especially now I'm, this, I'm defining that word of importunity, which is persistence, especially to the point of annoyance or intrusion or shameless persistence. But a spirit of importunity sometimes came upon me so that I would pray to God that he had made a promise to answer prayer. Did he make a promise to answer prayer? He did. And I could not and would not be denied. I felt so certain that he would hear me that frequently I found myself saying to him. Now, this is the same attitude that Moses had when he prayed. Lord, you can't do this. Uh, the people of Egypt are going to say, you just brought him out here to kill him. You know, you, you can't do this, Lord. Um, remember Abraham? Will not the, the judge of the earth do right? Those are pretty bold statements, right? And this is the same attitude that, that uh, Charles Finney had. He said, I found myself saying to him, I hope thou dost not think that I can be denied. I come with thy uh, faithful promises in my hand and I cannot be denied. He said, my impression was that the answer was very near even at the door. And I felt myself strengthened in the divine life, put on the harness for a mighty conflict with the power of darkness and expected soon to see a far more powerful outpouring of the spirit of God. And so he said, I cannot be denied. And, and when you're in intercession, that's, that's the, uh, th there's something about intercession. It really uh, comes along the lines of special faith, right? Because a lot of times it, it's the spirit working with you, right? Uh, and a lot of times it's a special faith and special faith says, I can't be denied. And, and it's hard to explain unless you've ever been there. But, uh, and a lot of people, well, that's heresy. You know, you're just talking blah, blah, blah. Uh, but Charles Finney was one of the most amazing evangelists and everything he says here lines up with, with the intercessors we saw uh, in the scriptures. And so, so that, that's just, uh, it's just a good example. And if you've never read after Charles Finney, I'd encourage you to find one of his uh, uh, biographies and read after them, right? Uh, and so let's turn over to uh, uh, Matthew chapter 18. And so this, this is really the, the very last uh, prayer that we're going to talk about. So that we've talked about eight different types of prayer. Uh, and it says in Matthew chapter 18, uh, verse 19, it says, Again, uh, this is the Lord Jesus speaking. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything, they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Uh, and so, so this is called the prayer of agreement, right? Two of you are there, right? And now he didn't say... Uh, two or three, right? He said two or three earlier for other discussions, but in this case, he said, when you're praying that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything, that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father, which is in heaven. So there's great power in the prayer of agreement, right? There's great power. In fact, you know, uh, there's a scripture in, in Deuteronomy that says that one could put a thousand to flight, two could put 10,000 to flight. And there seems to be that there is uh, great power and the Lord recognizes uh, the power when two people come together and agree. And so uh, the prayer of agreement, uh, first of all, uh, it's a prayer, right? And secondly, it's agreement. I mean, that's kind of obvious two statements, right? But 
Um, you ever heard people say, uh, uh, any, anybody got an unspoken prayer request? You ever seen that? Don't you love that? It's like, bleh. you know, I'll get an unspoken prayer request. Okay. Well, if I just come up and said, hey, would you do something for me? And, and uh, you know, if you're wise, you'll say, well, what is it? And if you're not wise, you'll say, sure. Okay, give me all your money, right? Give me your firstborn male child. I mean, whatever it is, right? Uh, no, a wise person will say, well, what is it first, right? I need to know what it is before I agree to that thing, right? So is it possible to have, because if they're asking for an unspoken prayer request, they're asking for you to agree with them about whatever it is the thing that they're asking about, right? And so it can't, it's literally cannot be agreement unless you know what it is, right? So there's no, there's no biblical uh, precedence for an unspoken prayer request. And yet people do all out. I got one. I got one. Oh, you got one. We got one over here, one over here. We got one over there, right? I mean, okay, all those on. Now, how many times have you seen that happen in church? I mean, so many times, right? And people's like, oh, that's so, oh, look at that. that oh, that's so wonderful. All those unspoken prayer requests. Lord, bless them all. And this one over here is like, well, I want that guy's wife over there. And this one over here is, well, I want his bank account. And that guy over here, well, I want his dog and cat. And I mean, can you agree to any of those things? Well, no, that's all, all of those are wrong, right? Well, what's your unspoken prayer request? Well, I don't really have one. I just want to raise my hand, you know. So how do you agree with that? So there's no such thing as unspoken prayer requests. That probably gets you a few golden calves kicked over right there, you know. Uh, but um, no, the prayer of agreement has to be you two people know what the, what, the, what the request is, and they both agree that, number one, it's biblical, number two, that they choose to pray about that thing, and then, uh, and then and Jesus said, if you do that, it shall be done. So guaranteed to happen. But you've got to follow the guidelines, right? So you've got to ask, right? That, that, as touching anything today, that they shall ask. Well, if the first person knows what it is, but the second one doesn't know what it is, how can they ask? Only one can ask because he knows what it is. The other one doesn't know what it is. So it didn't say if only one of them asks. It if they ask, they both have to ask. And we're not splitting hairs. So it's just kind of, you know, we do so many things in church that are just kind of silly many times, right? That just, it looks good, it, it kind of feels religious-y, you know, churchy, but it's not biblical at all, and there's no faith in it, and yet it, it appeases the emotions of people, right? Because a lot of times that's all we want in, in churches, just, you know, pet me, make me feel happy, but I want results. Don't you want results? Yeah. You know, I, I grew up with no results. I want results. When I got born again, Lord, I want results. I don't want this... In fact, I remember it was Charles Finney. Uh, <laughs> he, he, was in a, he was in a church uh, for many years. Uh, and and um, he, so he'd go to this little prayer group, you know. And so one time they said, uh, uh, Charles, you got anything you want to pray about? He said, well, I do. But he said, ain't no, read, ain't no need praying here. Because uh, none of you ever get your prayers answered. So what's the point? <laughs> now, that's pretty, that's pretty bold right there. And he's true, right? You know, <laughs> it's like, well, I do, but you ain't getting nothing done. So, you know, what's the point? So, uh, you know, it's a prayer of agreement, very powerful, very valuable, right? Uh, and, you know, it could line up with other prayers too, but typically it's the prayer of faith, right? You two people are agreeing it, but Jesus specifically called this one out. And, and there are people who will read this uh, and, and they'll be like, well, that's not what it's talking about, prayer. If two of you uh, agree as touching anything that they shall ask, well, isn't that who they asking? Are they asking each other? No, they're, they're asking the Lord, right? Well, then that's prayer. So I don't, you know, people, anytime people, uh, and it often happens, anytime people are trying to do away with the supernatural, 
always be suspicious of their doctrine. Uh, you know, well, that's not what it's talking about. That's obviously what it's talking about. It's not, it can't be talking about anything else other than prayer. Uh, and so there'll be people that will try to do away with that because they don't like prayers answered, right? Uh, and so, you know, years ago, uh, one nice thing about being married is, is you've got someone right there that knows you well enough to, that you can agree with things on, right? So that's pretty convenient. But if you've got friends, you know, uh, I'm not a big fan of prayer chains, right? You know, uh, it's almost, to me, it's almost more like gossip than, you know, hey, so-and-so needs help. You know, hey, so-and-so needs help. And then you call the next guy, hey, I heard so-and-so needs help over there, you know. Can you believe they need help? <laughs> and so um, I'm not, we don't have our prayer chains around here because Jesus say uh, uh, that, that if two of you on the prayer chain agree to it. Um, now, so does it take 100 people to agree? Just two, right? Two is sufficient, amen? Uh, uh, and so uh, I know there was a fellow years ago that had tuberculosis. He was a minister, and um, he, everywhere he traveled, he would, you know, request the church to pray for him. I've got tuberculosis. Pre, pr- please pray for me. Uh, now there was never a prayer of agreement because, really, that implies that if they, right, that they're together, they're asking together. So, you know, if I just ask you to pray for me, it's not really the prayer of agreement. You know, it's you're both praying, but it, you know, Jesus implies the implication here is that you're sitting there together, you're asking together. You're in agreement together, and you're getting a job done together. So, you know, just me asking for prayers, that's fine, but that's not really the prayer of agreement, uh, as Jesus is spelling out here, because really two, two is sufficient. But, uh, uh, but he was talking to the Lord about it, and he said, you know, Lord, she, he said, if prayer alone would get the job done, he said, there's probably hundreds of people that have prayed for me, maybe thousands of people that have prayed for me. He said, if, if the quantity of prayers would get the job, then I would already be healed. So clearly, that's not the issue, right? So, uh, so just it's not about getting the most number of people praying for somebody, right? Oh, we've got so many people praying. Jesus said anything that two people ask uh, will be done, right? So you don't need 100 people praying. I mean, nothing wrong with having 100 people praying, but it's not, well, if I just get two more people praying, you know, I'm at, I'm at 98, if I get two more, it'd be an even 100, the Lord will surely do what we ask him to do, right? That's not necessary, right? And nothing wrong with it, but, but don't feel like that 98 is not good enough. Don't feel like two is not good enough. Two, uh, according to what Jesus said, two is suffi- uh, sufficient, right? Uh, and, and so I remember years ago, I, I was working out of town. So I, it wasn't very far out of town, but, you know, it was a little bit of a drive. And, and, um, uh, and I started out when the kids were a little bit younger, but as it kind of got into school, you know, then, then things started happening. I remember one time, you know, I had to go to work, I had a meeting, uh, and uh, one of the kids were not feeling good, and thinking, I can't stay home, you know. Uh, Chris was out of town, uh, and um, I sent him out to school sick, right, because uh, I'm a terrible father. Uh, and so, uh, but you know, when I was growing up, unless you were dead, you went to school. I mean, that's just the way I was, right? You know, wasn't that way you grew up, right? You know, nowadays it's like, oh, you know, I got a sniffle. Oh, you know, just quit school, right? Uh, I mean, it's just like, really? I mean, wow, you know. Uh, and you got a broke arm, be fine, go to school, right? You know, you, you got one other arm, you know, just go, you know, grow up. Uh, and, um, you know, now we're a bunch of cupcakes and snowflakes, but uh, back then, you know, and so sometimes I would kind of treat my kids the way I grew up, you know, which didn't work out very good. But uh, so I drop them off at school and I drive, you know, 30 minutes to work and I, and, I, and I, you know, get out of the car, go in the office, put my stuff down, sit down, the phone rings, it's cool, hey, come get your kid, they're sick, right? <laughs> so I had to pack everything up, go back home, drive 30 minutes, you know, and go get them, right? And so, you know, uh, 
and, and it was more than just that. It was really because I was missing a lot of school functions because I'm out of town. And so, so me and Chris were talking about one day. He said, well, you know, we've never have actually prayed about this job, right? Now, the job was great. The boss was great. The work was great. Everything was great, except for the fact that I was out of town, right? I didn't like being that far out of town. Uh, and so we said, well, you know, let's just pray. You want to pray? Let's just pray about it. So one Sunday night, we sat down. We prayed the prayer of agreement. So, Lord, I want a job. I want a job in the city where I live. And it's got to be at least as good as the job that I've got because you don't go backwards, you know. Uh, and it wasn't a long prayer. You know, this is what we want. We want a job that's as good as I've got uh, in this city. And um, we thank you that it'll be done. And, and that, it wasn't much longer than that, right, that we prayed. So we didn't intercede for that. You know, it wasn't the groanings. And it was just, it was a request. They shall have whatsoever they ask. Well, that was on a Sunday. I went to work on a Monday. And the boss comes and says, hey, they're closing our office. Uh, and and uh, uh, we've, uh, they're closing this building down. And so we've got to decide what we're going to do with our group because we were just kind of a, our group was part of this manufacturing office that we weren't really part of that group, but we just kind of, we were the same company, so we kind of just used their space. Uh, and so now we're going to be homeless. We've got to decide what to do. Well, that was on a Monday. Well, we'd already prayed on Sunday that what was going to happen. So the Wednesday, just two days after that, they came and said, well, uh, the, the uh, management says, you all just... Uh, go to the city where you live and, and open up your office there. So basically, I got the exact same job in, in the city where I lived uh, within a few months because, you know, things take time to transition there. But, uh, uh, and every prayer you pray is not going to happen the next day. But what if we hadn't prayed? They would have said, now move your offices to, you know, Timbuktu or Detroit or somewhere far away. That would have been something I couldn't do, right? Uh, and so... Uh, and we could tell you lots of stories like that. We've prayed and, and, and received the answer to our prayers. And there's prayers that uh, my wife and I have prayed that we know we have the answer. We haven't seen them yet, but we know we have the answer. And we will see it, right? Uh, because of these verses, amen? So uh, the prayer of agreement is, is really great, um, but you have to agree and you have to pray, right? Unspoken prayer requests, waste of time, right? Uh, uh, just you know, uh, crazy things to, to pray about and agree about, you know, hey, I want my neighbor's wife or whatever. Surely you wouldn't agree with that, but, um, uh, but you got to agree with those things, right? You know, now some people say, agree with me about this job. Uh, well, see, do you know what's the will of God for you to have that job? Because I knew it was the will of God for me to have a job, right? And I didn't put any, any specific constraints on him, but sometimes people are praying for things that aren't the will of God and they try to use the prayer of agreement to coerce God into doing something so you should always before you pray know and understand whether or not it's the will of God if the word of God covers it well then you know the will of God but there's plenty of times that the word of God doesn't cover that specific instance so before you pray you should pray to find out the will of God first before you pray the prayer of agreement amen that way you can always be guaranteed success in your prayers because how many how many prayers do Christians pray and oftentimes they don't receive an answer to prayer and in fact something happens that the answer is not going to be possible for whatever reason and they just say, well, I guess God decided no. But really, if you back up and ask the question, well, do you know that it was the will of God for you to have that to begin with? Mm. Do you know that you were in the will of God when you prayed? And if you can't, if you can't tell me, yes, absolutely, then I'd have to wonder whether you ever prayed a real prayer, right, as far as God's concerned, because he said uh, this is the conference we have. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So if you ask something not according to his will, 
it implies that he never heard you to begin with. So not even a real prayer, right? So prayer of agreement is really great. Uh, there's not a whole lot that, that the Bible talks about in the prayer of agreement, but Jesus said a lot about it right there. Uh, and so uh, it's a great prayer, amen? And I'd encourage you, you know, uh, if you're not married or, you know, whatever the circumstances are, uh, find somebody you can pray the prayer of agreement with, right? Uh, because it, it really builds a, a bond between you two and it and and some things there there's just some things that can get done better with a prayer of agreement than just praying by yourself right one could put a thousand to flight two could put ten thousand to flight so the lord jesus uh specifically called out that that my desire for the church is for you to gather together in pairs on occasion you didn't say where two husband and wife are gathered together, right? So it's not always, it doesn't always have to be husband and wife. It could be two of any people. But it's just convenient if it's husband and wife because they're right there, right? Uh, and so uh, you can pray the prayer of agreement with anybody who's willing to agree with you, right? Uh, and so, and, and Brother Hagen tells a story many times. People come and say, uh, Brother Hagen, would you agree about something? Well, uh, well, yeah, let me know what it is. You know, what is it you want? Well, do I have to tell you? Well, I can't agree unless you tell me, right? And, and people like, uh, you know, well, I, I want you to pray that God would take, you know, take pride out of my life. Well, I can't pray that. That's for you to do, right? God can't do something that he told you to do, right? Be not in pride, right? Uh, don't walk in pride. Well, if he tells you to do it, he, you can't pray for him to do your job. People do that all the time. Lord, you know, uh, uh, take this anger out of my life. Well, he said be angry and said not. So didn't he, isn't that what he said? So whose responsibility is to be angry and sin not? It's yours. So if you say, Lord, uh, please uh, uh, make me never be angry again. Is that even a prayer? Can't be a prayer because it's in violation or it's a usurping. Uh, it's really not even usurping. It's really you uh, abdicating your responsibility. You giving up your responsibility and demanding that somebody else do your job. In this case, you're, you're demanding that God does the job that he told you to do now are you god's judge i mean are you the boss of god no so you can't and you shouldn't tell god to do something that he told you to do right lord please pay my tithes for me you know i'm sure people would pray that every day they could right but who did the lord tell to pay the tithes he told us to pay the tithes right so he's not going to do that we can't demand that he does our job right so so just be careful and, and i think most Christians, you know, if they will just be aware and be, be aware of what they're saying, what they're doing, they will know whether what they're doing or not is right because the Spirit of God will lead them into those things. But it's a good prayer, amen? Prayer of agreement. Uh, and so we'll pick up, and, and we're about done with the book of Ephesians because after, chapter, after verse 18, there's just a few more verses to the end of the chapter, right? Uh, and mostly it's just Paul closing up the book there. So we maybe get done here, you know, I bet before the end of the year we'll be done with Ephesians, right? So... Uh, <laughs> but anyway, praise God. Uh, well, let's pray and thank the Lord for his word today. So, Father, we thank you for the word of God. And, Father, we thank you for both the prayer of intercession and the prayer of agreement. Father, I thank you that those are both prayers that you desire your people to pray and to exercise uh, and to accomplish things in the earth that, uh, except we pray, may never get done. So, Father, we thank you that you will allow us to pray those prayers. And, and when we pray them, Father, we will expect and thank you, Father, that the, the results of our prayers will be exactly what we ask. And so, Father, we thank you for that. We give you the praise and the honor for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, praise God. Well, let's get ready to receive 
this evening's uh, offering there. Amen. And, um, you know, we've, we've gone through these prayers. I know, uh, you know, in the history of the church, we've gone over those before, but uh, I think it's always a good thing to refresh our, our memories about these things, encourage us all to pray even more than we're praying, maybe. Amen. And so come ahead, Mr. Jared. And uh, don't forget, and, you know, even between now and Sunday, you know, a good prayer would be to pray that the Lord, and we ask you to, because um, uh, we see that in the next part of chapter, uh, chapter 6 of Ephesians, but pray that the Lord would give um, Miss Marilyn the boldness to speak and the words to speak. Uh, that's, a, that's a valid prayer. We'll see that actually in the book of Ephesians as we go on. But Lord, uh, let her say everything that you want her to say. Because sometimes the Lord won't let somebody say something if somebody in the church is going to take offense at it, you know, and leave the church and be worse off than they were without being said. Um, and so uh, it's always good to, uh, Lord, uh, everything that you want done, let it be done. Prepare our hearts to receive the word and, and prepare her heart to speak the word. Uh, that's always a good prayer, a good prayer to pr- pray, amen, uh, when we have guest ministers coming in. Uh, and so uh, be blessed. Have a wonderful week, Lord. And is there any, this is an old note here about produce from Johnny, right? No, no produce from Johnny today, right? Oh, all right. Just church meal. What's that? Done giving it all away, right? So is it all done? Is it season done now? Or is there still more coming somewhere? All right. Uh, more okra, huh? All right. Uh, in peppers? Oh, Yeah. Uh, well, you'd think you'd stop planning in this fall time, but you know, hey, praise God, that's all right. We'll be blessed. We'll see you all on Sunday.